Hey, so have you yet seen the Sparkle Creed? Check it out. And let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. That's neat, isn't it? I'll, uh, I'll let her read through the rest here in a minute, but um, this is uh, something that I thought would be just a helpful think piece. Um, uh, with the exception of my last piece that I put out last week, I don't generally do, uh, can you believe they did this? Oh, they're so awful. And uh, that's not going to be one of these. I, I, I saw this, and I saw it get passed around a bit online. I don't know if Woke Preacher Clips was the first one to get it or if someone else did, but I thought this is a really helpful um, uh, example of kind of what we're up against, why I left the United Methodist Church, is because this was uh, growing and endemic and um, ascendant within the United Methodist Church, and there were no checks against it. Now, that being said, this is not a United Methodist Church that this is done in. This is a Lutheran church, all right? And I put the name of it down on the bottom right, Adena Community Lutheran Church, and you can see their website down there. And it's not a United Methodist uh, that wrote this. It's a, a lady named Rachel Small Stokes, um, who's a United Church of Christ pastor. I'll show you her in a minute. But there's a lot of um, un a theology that's very interesting in this that um, to people who um, see the the faith the way that I do, who who look at epistemology and truth and meaning the way that I do, this looks patently ridiculous. However, I, I assure you, these people are very serious in this worship service. So if you stick with me, I'm going to explain a little bit of the theology behind how they can pray such a ridiculous prayer, or rather it's called a creed from, uh, what is that, Greek credo, which means I believe. I don't think it's Latin. I need to brush up on this. But anyway, the, this this is something that supplements, or at least operates alongside it. Well, no, this would supplement the uh, Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, these creeds that have been tried and true for over a thousand years. Uh, the Apostles' Creed may be as old as 1900 years ago. Uh, we got the Sparkle Creed now, and if you didn't figure it out to the side, it makes it very clear. This is an LGBTQQIA plus phenomenon here um, that, that uh, serves to explicate uh, progressive liberal theology. Now, you'll notice the format is, is very similar to a Christian worship service, and they utilize a lot of the same characters and nomenclature as a Christian worship service. However, this is what I'm going to argue is a counterfeit uh, kind of drag show Christian worship service. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit more of this, and then we'll, we'll uh, talk about it a little bit. Enjoy. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. So, yeah, it ends with amen. It's a prayer. 
And the only scripture that's really in there is, I believe, help my unbelief, which of course is from the father of the paraplegic, uh, uh, the, the kid seizing on the ground, Jesus says, anything is possible for those who believe, and the man's response is, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. What, what you'll find in a lot of progressive worship services, well, really all of them to be progressive, is a kind of bastardization of the original context of a lot of phrases and meanings, and then eisegetically putting them onto whatever they want. Now, so that's one of the main things I wanted to point out with this, is this, um, this word eisegetic, uh, eisegesis. This is a theological word that's actually really helpful um, in understanding not just progressive theology, but why we've had a lot of theological disputes over the years. Um, in coming to the scriptures, there's um, obviously a two-way relationship going on between the subject reading and the object uh, containing the meaning. <clears throat> and so when you come to the scriptures, you can have an exegetical relationship where it is pouring out knowledge and it's your job to understand what it's pouring out, or you can have an eisegetic relationship with it, where you are putting meaning into it. So as you hear and read these different words, you decide what meaning they have. So going backwards from this creed, I believe love is love is love. Uh, I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love, so beloved, let us love. Now, <clears throat> the LGBTQ, the, the, the rainbow mafia type thing, the, the alphabet mafia, I've heard them called lots of different things, they... Uh, do a lot of what they do by collapsing love into a, a two-dimensional thing, whereas the ancients recognized multiple kinds of love and right love and wrong love, the, the progressive gender-critical method does not make these distinctions. It collapses all things under the umbrella of love, and then it christens them as holy in the progressive movement. So whenever Jesus is talking about uh, agape love, the love he and the Father have for each other that's supposed to be reflected in the love we have for one another, they bastardize that and they turn it into eros love, love of a uh, narcissistic love of self and uh, an erotic love of the other, whatever the other is. And then they not only say that God doesn't have a problem with it, but that God blesses it, that it in some sense glorifies and blesses God. So they, they, they form... Um, well, the metaphor I've always uh, thought makes sense is how um, we used to have minstrel shows in this country because white people simultaneously uh, had, had, they had a weird relationship with black people whom they looked down upon but also envied because of different reasons. And so they put on blackface and walked and talked in the manner that they perceived black people did so as to sort of participate in blackness, sort of like Rachel Dolezal, uh, she was that lady who was white who identified as black, and this is what progressives do. There's something about the Christian faith that they love and they're drawn to, but they also hate all traditional ways of previously doing that for the last 2,000 years, so they create their own way that's simultaneously sort of participating in Christianity, but also a mockery of it and um, an open hatred of it. I would say that, that progressivism and, and, to a degree, liberalism, they, these are related, openly hate conservatism, traditionalism, and take pleasure in uh, creating these theatrical productions where they mock uh, by adopting the form and substance, and they, they take the, the dressing, uh, the garb, the, the vestments, and they cover themselves in rainbows 
and uh, they simultaneously call themselves Christians while preaching the polar opposite of what Christians actually believe. And so the, you have this whole—I mean, it's an amazing worship space that they have, and the, they have quite a congregation here, all assembled to mock traditional classical Orthodox understandings of the faith. Now, there might be some Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox who, who look at me and go, this guy's a joke. He doesn't realize that Methodism and Protestantism is the minstrel show of the, the traditional Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox or Catholic faith, uh, to which point I would just go, that's not what we were trying to be. Uh, I can understand you making fun of the United Methodist Church in that sense. However, Methodism and pretty much every strain of Protestantism began with reformers who said, we need to get back to the roots, the, the primitive beginnings of the Christian faith, not make a mockery of it and worship new worldly ideologies. Uh, that might be what has happened and co-opted a number of Protestant churches, but you know what, Roman Catholics, it's happening with you too. In Eastern Orthodox, I'm happy for you. Uh, I wish I could join up. I got some qualms, but that's for another, that's for another video. Let's look at some of this other language. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. This is obviously taking uh, modern language, gender-critical language, and eisegetically putting it on here. And yeah, you can read the Bible and see this stuff. You can see feminine imagery and language used to describe God the Father, and even Jesus using some feminine imagery at one point. Now, does that mean that God is non-binary and that we have misgendered him in the Bible? That seems patently ridiculous. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, their is plural. The Father is singular. This is one of the, the breakdowns in language happening right now. Some people don't want to identify as a gender, so they identify as they, them, and you need to use their program. Uh, uh, pronouns. Yeah, the problem is that the scriptures don't use they, them pronouns for God, except if you want to, well, I'm not going to even legitimate that. So they, them, uh, their child who wore a fabulous tunic, that's non-scriptural, had two dads, that's offensive. <laughs> they love offending us in this way. Uh, yeah, Joseph was an adoptive father. God the Father was his, his father in heaven, but to, to use the same language to describe his, his relationship to them as uh, a, a child would to gay dads is um, wrong on many levels. Uh, that's, that's embarrassing that people would take that seriously. The only reason that they would want to do that is to baptize their own culture and to offend people like me. So while they look sweet and happy, they are... Uh, very much getting off on offending people with sensibilities like mine. That's that's half the joy of what they're getting. Ooh, we're saying Jesus had two dads. It's um, uh, I, I think it's silly. Uh, and who saw everyone as a sibling child of God? Jesus himself uses language that makes very clear that only people who are in faithful covenant obedience with the Father, who obey the will of His Father, are His brother or sister or mother. Uh, I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. This is obviously the rainbow gay stuff. Um, I'm going to try and find the clip. There's a, there's a funny movie where there's a cult that worships the rainbow. This is before the rise of the rainbow <clears throat> mafia. And it, it really is just sad and silly. Uh, the, it has no substance. You have some people getting together feeling very strongly about it. It doesn't mean it's real. 
I believe in the Church of Everyday Saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt. So AIDS, it's kind of over now. I'm sure it's still around biologically, but as a a social phenomenon, it was the gay disease in the 80s and 90s. It was something that if you were a good liberal, you you baptized in some sense. There's there's nothing wrong with AIDS, and there's maybe even something holy about it. Um, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars. And why why they capitalize W in wonder? I really don't know. So um, yeah, and I've already read over the rest of that. It's it's um, I've used the word ridiculous enough, I, and I might have used the word sad enough. I really don't know, but um, I'm I'm ready to be done with that. Now the the thing is, you know, there are a lot of people watching this that are maybe in the United Methodist Church or. Uh, I, I have a number of people write me uh, all the time say, you know, I'm staying Methodist, United Methodist. I really don't care. You know, I, I think you're kind of hyping things up. And, you know, admittedly, this this isn't even from a United Methodist church. The, the, the reason I lift this up as a Methodist is this stuff definitely has infected the United Methodist church, and I fear Wesleyanism more broadly. I, I see it happening in the Church of the Nazarene, for instance, a lot of people thinking that the church's job is to bless this current age rather than critique it and call it to holiness under threat of hellfire. Um, the the thing with most liberals, that most liberals are not going to do this in a worship service. They know it's clearly over the line. But the thing is, most liberals are not going to stop being fellow in fellowship with churches that do this or clergy that do this. They're not really bothered by it. They go, okay, you know, that's fine. You do you. I'll do me, and I can still have communion with you. And conservatives just can't do that because they're making fun of us. They're they're mocking the faith, and they're blessing uh, what we're quite certain is evil. And that's why there can be no fellowship. Light, light cannot have fellowship with darkness. And so that's, that's what's at, at stake here. And it's not just consenting adults who are making a mockery of Jesus in this way. I wanted to show you a piece of the, the worship service that, that nobody I'm aware of has shown you, and it's the children's sermon, because it's where the children are that they really take joy in indoctrinating them in a different Jesus. And that's what's fundamentally at play here, is progressive liberals believe in a very different Jesus than conservatives of all stripes. So take a look at this children's sermon. Do you know which scripture she's talking about? The one where he's with his friends and they're not sure who they are? They, they're having an identity crisis. If, if you can't tell, the kids are getting in a box with all kinds of gaudy and outlandish pieces of clothing. This is at the tail end of Pride Month, and um, this is very much tied to uh, gay pride. All right, I think that's all you need to know for right now. What story is she talking about in the Bible? 
where they're not sure of who they are, and he says, you know what? You matter. I love you. You're valuable. I don't remember that at all. I remember he says at one point when the father comes back and well done, good and faithful servants, he says, we should just say we are but unprofitable servants. You know, there, where is this concern for self-esteem coming from? What Bible is she reading out of? I'm, I'm not quite sure. And Jesus says sometimes other people might make you feel otherwise. Other people might think differently. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says the most important opinion that matters is mine. And Jesus says I love you no matter what. So, yeah, all right. The, the most important opinion is what Jesus thinks. Yeah, but... <laughs> I mean, the closest thing he says to that in the Gospels is, do not fear those who can destroy the body and do nothing else to you. Rather, fear him only, only who can destroy your body and cast your soul into hell. You know, that, that makes it pretty clear. The only one we care about is how God feels about us. But um, that, that has a slightly different feel than this clip here. So Jesus says, you matter. He wants you to be secure in yourself, and he loves you just the way you are. So here's a, just a very basic question. Why do you need Jesus? <laughs> if, if the point of life is just to feel good about yourself and feel confident and not care what anybody thinks about you, it seems to me that uh, uh, you don't need Jesus for that. I think a lot of people do that just fine on their own. But secondly, why the need for dying to self, taking up your cross, uh, the new birth, so much of that scripture makes absolutely no sense, and she's undercutting the whole theological uh, uh, foundation for the need of Christ's atoning death on the cross, which, of course, they renounce the ne uh, necessity of his death on the cross. But then, secondly, they, they completely invert the point of life. Uh, we must decrease that he must increase. There's none of that here. They're teaching children. First off, she's telling a story that is not in the Bible. She doesn't do any kind of scriptural citation. She doesn't use any language that really reflects the Jesus that we find in the Bible. And what she's doing is indoctrinating these children while dressing them up in gay pride gear to uh, not reflect on themselves, not be critical of themselves, not repent, not seek the kingdom, but to just seek themselves. This whole narcissistic spirit of this age, she is blessing and consecrating in the name of Christ, which is really uh, harmful. That you brought from home. And sometimes that means getting to wear extra special fun things. And sometimes that means having a little extra bling. And so today, not only do you get to take something to wear during worship if you want to, but all the adults do too. So after worship, if you didn't get your picture taken by the rainbow flag on your way in, you can stop at the rainbow flag and take a photo in a pride booth wearing all kinds of fun stuff to celebrate who you are because Jesus loves you exactly as you are. And we are celebrating that today. And our clothes are one way. So yeah, Jesus wants you to be yourself, so be gay. Get in the pride uh, get in front of the 
uh, what do they call it, the pride booth in front of the rainbow flag, get in all kinds of crazy regalia, wear some bling. Hey, anybody remember any scripture about bling? Oh, yeah, Paul says don't wear it. <laughs> it's a sign of ostentatiousness. Uh, jewelry, it, we're supposed to be a plain people. We are told how we're supposed to dress in scripture. I don't know if she's ever read it or not, but we are not supposed to be um, reflecting God's glory in the way that we dress necessarily. Um, once again, it's an inversion of the Christian faith in teaching us that we should identify ourselves with our outward appearance, otherwise known as materialism or consumerism. All these things feed the beast that is uh, modern Western society. There's nothing of Jesus in any of this. What's happening is they're getting a bunch of kids together and in the name of Jesus indoctrinating them in very worldly stuff that leads, you know, granted, she's not talking about anything that has to do with sex, sexual exercise, or anything, but she is helping them to identify with a movement that is very much based in a licentious and narcissistic ethos that is going to lead them down a road of destruction that has a very sad ending. So, you know, as silly as the Sparkle Creed is and as offensive as it is, I am much more concerned about children's sermons like this. And within a United Methodist Church, we've had drag queens uh, present to children during the children's sermon. We have this same theology given to children in the United Methodist Church every single week. It is destroying souls, and it's inoculating children against the real gospel. Because, you know, how, how, how many people are able, when they have no knowledge of the true Christian faith, when they haven't read the scriptures, how many are able to identify this as a counterfeit, and then identify the real faith of Christ Jesus. It's a very confusing time. I just feel so sorry for kids that are raised outside of the church or in churches like this. I don't know how many of them even have hope of finding Jesus and learning about conviction of sin and repentance and the new birth. Um, so we need to always keep in mind, this is what kids are swimming in. This is what they're swimming in in an increasing number of churches that if they're not doing this explicitly, they're at least not bothered by this, but also this is what they're swimming in in schools and in public institutions. Um, if you haven't woken up yet, this is a real threat. It needs to be dealt with, and I'm not saying with violence or hostility. I'm saying by just speaking the truth in love, naming this as counterfeit faith, we really shouldn't make any room for this. And my prayer is I'm going into the global Methodist church is that the global Methodist church has its antenna up about this sort of stuff and that it maintains doctrinal and biblical fidelity so that we're not leading our children or adults astray in any of this. So anyway, if you found this helpful for thinking through, if uh, maybe you want to use it as training for your children's sermon instructors as to what not to do, um, you're very welcome to use this. Send it along. I appreciate all the support. I'll uh, I'll put out another interview here soon. So, take care. Happy 4th of July. Bye.